Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit HopeChurchLV.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread Hope Church to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Amen. Well, good morning, Hope Church. Awesome. My name is Tom. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Church, and I'm on a team here at Hope who focuses on mobilizing our church to be involved in the mission of God in our city and in the West and the United States and also the world. And this week we are in uh, the second sermon of a two-sermon series, if you will, called Hope for the World. Our goal in this series is pretty simple. It's pretty easy. It's just to reset our focus, if you will, on what it looks like to share the gospel with this world, to see other people come into the kingdom like God sent somebody to us. We want to send you and, and myself to them. So Pastor Scott taught us last week in this series, Hope for the World. I remember he opened up kind of by saying this, Jesus is the only hope for the world. Isn't that true? Like there are a lot of other things that we could say and there's some emphasis we could place on some other things. We know there's lots of hurt and lots of pains. But at the end of the day, when everything is said and done, Jesus is the only hope for this world. He and he alone. So please take your Bibles, if you would, open them to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 35 through 38 today. Pastor Scott preached the first two verses. I'm going to preach the last two. Matthew chapter 9, whether it's your physical uh, Bible there on your lap or if it's on your phone in an app, that's fine. But just turn there. I want you to read with me as we read today. And, and while you're getting there, I'll, I'll uh, kind of help us uh, uh, along the way to understand some things. I'd like to begin today uh, with something for us to consider together. Biblically, human beings fall into two distinctive categories. Those categories aren't male and female. Those categories aren't young and old. Those categories aren't those who are educated and those who aren't. Those who are rich or those who are poor. And there's lots of other uh, categories, two of them, that we could actually say today. But the truth is, none of those have anything to do with language or race or geography or anything like that. Biblically, spiritually speaking, the two categories I'm talking about are those who've, who've accepted Christ and those who haven't. And no matter what language we speak, no matter what culture we're from, the truth is, there are only two kinds of people on the planet. Those who have accepted Christ and those who have not, that's it. I want to share with you some incredible things today that are going on in our life. Here at Hope Church, we're on track to baptize 300 people this year. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Unlike other parts of the world, there are thousands of Christians and hundreds of churches and cities all over the western United States. And while that may not seem like much, the truth is, is I've been to places where there aren't many Christians and there are no churches. Can I just tell you, that is a blessing for us to live in even the western part, which is pretty much the most unreached part of our nation, where there are thousands of Christians and hundreds of churches. Also in the U.S., since 2010, there have been 10,000 new church plants through our partner, the North American Mission Board. 10,000 since 2010. Isn't that incredible? 
10,000 churches in North America. Internationally, there are, there are 10,000 reached people groups all over the planet. There are 17,000 total, but 10,000 are actually reached. And they can now continue to reach the cultures in which they live and are. And there are more than 178, there were more than 178,000 people who became Jesus followers and 21,000 new churches internationally that were started through our partner organization, the International Mission Board, in just 2022 alone. In one year, 178,000 people came to Christ Worldwide and 21,000 new churches. Is that incredible? Like we're living in, a, in, a, in an incredible time. And while I am thankful that all those things are true, and I know that they're true, when Jesus teaches, what Jesus teaches us in this passage is also still true today. That the harvest, though it may be plentiful, the workers are few. Here's what it means. There are still billions of people who need Christ today. And there are very few people trying to reach him. How do we know? Well, Pastor Scott gave us a little insight last week. There are more than 7,000 people groups in our planet, on our planet, considered what's called unreached. That means that less than 2% of their population are Christian. In the U.S., there are two states that don't have enough churches for their populations. One of them is California. One church for every 1,665 people. And Nevada, one church for every 2,042 people. Though we've started lots of churches internationally and we've seen lots of people come to Christ, there are also still lots of people being born. <laughs> Here in our own state, we need more churches, which basically means we need more Christians. Even though around 30% of our city claim to be Christian, Pastor Scott shared with us last week, that the truth is, that stat is probably much, much lower at around 10% having a relationship with Jesus. I know I told you a bunch of awesome stuff at, at the beginning, and I know these things may not be the, the best things that you want to hear, but there's a hard truth that I want us to deal with today. And listen, if you go to the doctor, and the doctor doesn't tell you everything that's wrong, he's a terrible doctor. She's a terrible doctor. So here's what I'll say. Our valley, our nation and our world are still overwhelmingly lost. There's an estimated 5.8 billion people who are not followers of Jesus. That's seven in 10 people on the planet. Some follow other gods, religions, some follow cults, and some follow absolutely nothing at all. One out of three are without Christ of those 5.8 billion. 1.7 billion people, listen to this, have never heard the name of Jesus, much less rejected him. Why? Because nobody's told them. Nobody's gotten to them. They have no access to the gospel. That's hard for us to believe because we can turn on our, our, our radio. We can turn on our, our TV. We can come to any service we want across churches all across the valley and across our world. And it's hard for us to believe that, but there are 1.7 billion people who've never heard the name of Jesus. Some of those people are actually here in Vegas. They could be our neighbors, our classmates. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe they're your coworker. Hopefully they're not my coworker. 
Lance, we need to have a talk after this is over. We, not, not you, but like we need to navigate. But those without Christ are everywhere, guys. Men, ladies, boys, girls, everywhere. Las Vegas, the West, the world. So in this series, what we want to do is we want everybody, he who has an ear, let him hear. What is your part? What is my part in this mission here? A few years ago, we made this statement. The church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. Think about that for a second. The church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. God has a people for his mission. We are those people. We are his church to join his mission. You say, who's going to do it? Us. What about y'all, the ones that we're paying to do it? No, no, us together. We're trying to get you to go with us. We are part of what of the mission that God has for this world. We are the instigators of that. So let's read together Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. The Bible says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Look what Jesus says here, and this is where we'll spend our time today. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As we begin today, the thing I want you to see first is who Jesus was actually talking to. Look there in verse 37. The Bible said, he said to his disciples. Who's that? Us. He's talking to us, those who had believed, those who trusted, those who were in the truth, knew the truth, and were capable of sharing the truth. Jesus was doing two things here. The first thing he was doing is he was giving them the knowledge that they would need about this truth. And then secondly, he was encouraging their involvement in the sharing of this truth. He was telling them what the truth was, and then he was encouraging them to share this truth. And you know why? Because only those who know the truth can help a dying world. You say the Bible helps people, the preacher helps people. Praise God, every Christian helps somebody. We have the ability to do that no matter how much the world may try. It can never alleviate the spiritual need to those who are harassed, helpless, and in need of a shepherd. Our world may medicate the problem, but our world will never alleviate the problem that they actually have. Only those who carry the gospel have the cure for a person's deepest need. And that is one thing to be made alive in God, to go from death to life. Only those who carry the gospel have the cure for a person's deepest need. And that is to be made alive. And Jesus here is challenging his followers because they would be the ones equipped. Today, Jesus is challenging us because we are equipped with the gospel that is able to save. So I wanna share with you Three things today, two truths and one command from this passage. Truth number one, the harvest is plentiful. I think we have to answer two questions here. First, what do we mean by harvest? What is meant by that? Maybe you didn't grow up in a rural area or in a farm type of culture, but literally a harvest is the fruit or the produce that's ready to be gathered from a plant to be sold for use. It's whatever fruit comes off of a plant, whatever produce comes off, from the plant. That's what a harvest is. But did Jesus actually mean that? Was he actually looking at a field or a crop or some plants? Because spiritually, here's what it means. We believe that he was talking spiritually and not physically. Could there have been a harvest of, of wheat or corn or something else in that area? Sure. 
But the truth was, he was talking spiritually. And by spiritually, here's what I mean. The harvest is the heart that is tender to listen and be saved. You see, the harvest isn't just the crop. Spiritually speaking, the harvest is the soul. It is the heart that is tender to listen. Then he says, plentiful. What do we mean by plentiful? What was Jesus talking about? Well, that one's an easy one. Plentiful means much or abundant or of great quantity. So Jesus here, speaking spiritually, was saying, there will be an abundance of souls to be harvested for the kingdom because there will be an abundance of tender hearts ready to hear and accept the gospel. Do you know what I think? I think we don't believe that. We think we've seen everybody who needs to be saved, right? Well, we've told them. We've opened the door. They can get it on the internet. They can hear that podcast. God wants us to share with them. He said there's a huge harvest. And then he's going to say, go get it. I don't know how many of you have ever grown anything. Anybody ever grown anything? It's hard work, isn't it? That's what my grandfather used to say. It is extremely hard work. I remember looking at my grandparents' garden. Both sets of my grandparents both had gardens. And sometimes I, I, I noticed looking at these gardens that you could actually see the harvest. In my mind, I can still see the red tomatoes. I can see the, I don't know how many of you know this, but what I'm about to say, but the purple hole peas. Anybody with me on the purple holes? They're purple. That's why you say that. The green beans, I can see this in my mind, but then there were some plants that they had that you couldn't see them at all. They were a little bit harder work to get to see what their colors were. With some plants, you have to do work before you can see the fruit or the produce. Like potatoes, they're in the ground. The radishes, beautiful purplish red color, but they're also in the ground. Did you know peanuts grow in the ground? That just blew some of y'all's mind right there. Carrots, the bright orange. You got to dig for those. The work is more intense. Even to get to yellow squash, which is not a squash, which is not an underground vegetable. The truth is that the leaves are kind of big and, and, and the plant itself is prickly. So you have to cover everything, every part of your exposed skin up so that you don't get scratched. But the leaves are so big. Sometimes it looks like there's two fruit there. But then when you pull back the leaf, there's like eight. So you got to work a little bit harder for some are y'all hearing what I'm saying? When it comes to the kingdom, there are some that are very obvious to see and there are some that you're gonna have to work for. There are some that we're gonna have to go a little bit deeper. Just like tomatoes are easy to see, some people's hearts are as easy to see, as ready for the harvest as them. But like squash, potatoes, peanuts, the tender heart is not so easily seen. It takes more time. It takes more energy to gather the labor is tougher. But seen or unseen, here's the truth. There's a lot of harvest out there. Whether we see it or not, there's a lot out there. You say, here in Vegas? Yeah, here too. Jesus knew and he knows where the tender hearts were and he knows where they are. He saw an abundance of souls who would accept the gift of salvation if they were only told about it. He saw the harvest of souls of his children. The disciples couldn't see it. They just had to believe it. And we can't readily see it all the time either, but we have to believe it too. 
Jesus saw what the disciples could not see, and now he can see what we do not see either. So here's some questions. How many people around us are ready to hear if we just speak? How often have we said no to the gospel for those who are in need? We say no by not telling them at all. How much harvest is there around us that we walk by daily? Pastor Scott shared with us, nine out of 10 people in Vegas, if it's true, that don't know him. What if four out of those nine would listen? What if two out of the nine? What if one out of the nine? And you say, well, see, that's why I don't share because I'm afraid if I share, then they'll say no. Our part is not to save. Our part is to share. We don't know who's who. We can't pick any of the nine. Only God can give the tender heart. So truth number one, the harvest is plentiful. But then secondly, truth number two, the laborers are few. There is a plentiful harvest, but there are very few workers. So as we jump into truth number two, let's answer basically four questions. Number one, whose harvest is this? It's God's harvest, all of it. The spiritual field, the crop itself, the harvest that will come, it's all his. You see, God convicts people. God's spirit convicts people. He convicted me. If you're a believer today, he convicted you. He showed you who he was. And you know what? He's doing that and we don't even see it or realize it or know it. The heart of people become tender because of him. It's his harvest. Remember what the spiritual harvest is too. It's tender hearts. They're out there waiting to hear. Second question I thought of was what happens to an actual fruit that isn't harvested? One of the things as I was studying, I can just remember we had uh, acres of squash and red peppers. And I remember the, the red peppers only in, in season every week would be ready to harvest. But the squash were every two days. Yeah, I was happy when we got rid of the squash. <laughs> but you know why we had to go get it every two days? Because if we didn't get it, they would overgrow and then they would fall off and then they would die. You see, when you have a plentiful harvest and a few laborers, not only is it an agricultural nightmare, it's a spiritual nightmare too. The soft, tender heart to hear the gospel can grow cold. It can grow weary. Life happens. People become disinterested, jaded, and hopeless. That heart that was tender can become hard and calloused. You see, there's a time for salvation. In the New Testament, there's two words for time. One of them is chronos. That's where we get the word clock, and, and we think about time in general, but like the time of the day. But then there's another one that says there's a time for harvesting. You know, I always wanted tomatoes to be ready in about May or June, but I always knew July was the time for tomatoes. You know why? Because that's when the harvest comes in. There was a season. Listen, in our lives, there's a season too. That's what the Old Testament tells us. There's a season for everything. God said that himself. Listen, when it's time for somebody to give their life to Christ, I want to be in the season with them. We got to strike when the, while the iron's hot, if you will. We must harvest while the heart is in season. Another question I thought of was who are the laborers? Because here, that's like an obvious question. Who are the laborers? Us. It's us. His followers, his children, me and you, first here in the scripture, the disciples. Listen, though there were few of them, the truth was, as Jesus was telling them, I've been doing most of the ministry. Now it's your time to get in on it, but there's a huge harvest coming. And I can imagine them going, you serious? 
There was 300 million people on the planet at the time. There's 8.1 billion of us now. But now it's us. We're the harvesters. A whole lot more of us. In fact, 8.1 billion people on the planet. Out of that, 2.3 billion claim Christianity. Is that crazy? Nearly 30% of our planet claim Christianity. Now, I don't know the veracity of that. I don't know how true or untrue that is. I have a suspicion it may be a lot less than that, honestly. But the truth is, there are a whole lot more than 11. 11 to 300 million is somewhere around 30 million each they were going to have to win. You see, the problem is not quantity. Supposedly, there's a lot of us. It's quality. Now, don't mishear me on this. I'm not putting us in categories. But by quality, I mean those who know the gospel, who know the importance of going and sharing, those who are called to, to pray, go and give, but those who actually obey. Christianity wasn't given to us just so we'd miss hell. It was, but that's not the only reason. If we have something that's so, so good, why would we not share it? I wish every one of you would wear a big old UT Vols shirt today. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want you to be a UT Vols fan. Why? Because I love them. But more than that, I want you to be a Christian. What about our neighbors and our coworkers and those you go to school with? How much do we want them to know him? Actually obey. But how many of the 2.3 billion actually obey? How many are engaged in the mission? The potential quantity of laborers isn't the issue. The obedience to be evolved is the issue. And he says there are few. God didn't call us to inspect the harvest. He called us to get in it. Four, why are the laborers so few? Pastor Scott told us last week, he gave us three reasons. Distracted, desensitized, and disengaged. Do you remember that? Distracted, other things have our attention. Desensitized, we're numb to what's best. Disengaged, we choose other or lesser things. We become distracted, desensitized, and disengaged because our flesh is too weak. We choose other things that, to be involved in, things that satisfy our flesh and not the spirit that also lives in us. The reason is just unimportant. We don't understand or pay, place the priority that we need on what lies in the balance when somebody does and doesn't give their life to Jesus. We're unmoved. And when we're unmoved, it probably means we just don't understand enough about it. It's unimportant. Maybe the cost is too high. Leaving behind careers, dreams of success, wealth, and the people that we love to follow God's call, the cost may just be too high and we just can't do it. You say, Tom, how do you know these things? Like, it sounds like you just made those up. I know because that was me. What I just described was me. And I have a suspicion, Bob. It may not just be me. I loved Jesus. I was saved when I was 11. I've never doubted my salvation one day. I just believed him. He said he'd save me, so I said he did. But I never asked him what he wanted for my life. There were so many years in between where I hadn't asked him a thing about it. I had and still have a weak flesh. I still choose wrong things sometimes. I chose so many times what I wanted, never asking God what he wanted for me. 
That may be you, if you're honest. I didn't realize the importance of reaching other people. I was reached, and we, Crystal and I, were praying for our kids to be reached, but wasn't that good enough? Like, if, if the set of seven of us, my wife and my five kids, could be reached, isn't that, isn't that plenty, Lord? Like, isn't that all you want of us? It was just not important. I knew if I did what God wanted, then all my education, all my training, all the time spent and all the money spent, it would just be wasted. It would go by the wayside. And I felt like the cost was just too high. And was Jesus worth it? I mean, theoretically and theologically, yes, he was worth it. Was I willing to give up myself to follow him and do what he wanted? It was a chore. And trust me, I know, because it was me. But I wouldn't change one thing today. There's nothing in the world that would be different, that I want to be different than what God has done in my life and what he's done with me. Here's the bottom line. Jesus saw what the disciples could not see. He knew what the disciples did not know. And Jesus also sees what I cannot see and knows what I do not know. Agriculturally, agriculturally the point isn't how much fruit is on the plant, but rather Will there be people enough to gather what is there? And spiritually speaking, the same applies. Not how many could be saved, but rather, will there be people to go tell those who are to be saved, who will be there, who need the salvation that only God can give? When we know there's a harvest to be gathered and we procrastinate or we refuse to gather the harvest or to get in the field, then the fruit or produce on that plant will fall and it will die. And the time will be gone. You remember the uh, video we showed last week of Jim talking about the 100-year-old man who had heard the gospel for the very first time? Do you remember that? His question was, will he get to hear it again? Here's a fact. The harvest is big. The laborers are few. They're needed. God's part is to save. Ours is to share the gospel. Salvation is up to God. The telling of his gospel is up to us. And I don't know how all that economy works. God doesn't need us for anything, but he uses us for this. And then lastly, I want to show you the command. Jesus gives the solution for this agricultural and spiritual nightmare in his command. He said, here's what we do. If we really want to solve this problem, here's what we need to do. We need to all go. Actually, that's not what he said. What did he say? Pray. pray. He said, pray earnestly. The command was to pray. There are four words in the New Testament that are translated pray into our language. We have one word. They had four. This word was a word that basically meant to beg. It's the reason that the English translators added the word earnestly. The word earnestly isn't in the New Testament. It's just the best way to describe what this word was, deoma, was to say, pray earnestly. In other words, go for it, right? It meant to beg. To, it, it, it infers this emphatic request to continue asking over and over, to ask for something pleadingly or beggingly. God said, here's what I want you to do. If you want to be involved in the kingdom, pray that God would do this. Pray earnestly. Beg God to do this. We know what begging means. I mean, we've done it before. We do it in times of desperation. We do it in times of difficulty and pressure and stress. And Jesus told them here what should be begged for, though, and he said, beg for this. Jesus asking us to 
pray earnestly obviously has a reason behind it. We earnestly beg because more laborers are needed. You remember how many people I told you on the planet? Seven out of ten. Listen, will pass away and spend eternity separated from God in a place known as hell. That's not something I'm making up. That's a reality. So we pray for more laborers who can go tell them. We pray for the laborers because laborers can be distracted and never go. We pray for current laborers because they give up and stop. The whole reason, not the whole, but a huge reason we send people on trips overseas is to encourage those who are there to stay. I need for those three couples, we need as a church, the kingdom wants for those three couples that we sent out to stay on the field, not be discouraged, not give up. And he says, pray, pray for laborers, for the harvest, not just to go once, but to stay when they get there. Our enemy works against what we work for. Therefore, we're to pray earnestly for those laborers. And to whom were they to pray? Jesus said this, to the Lord of the harvest. Who's that, God? When it comes to the harvest, we pray to the Lord of the harvest. We ask him what only he can answer. It's really, really simple. Jesus said, pray earnestly, asking God to do what only he can do. And some of you may have a very honest and very real question. And that question is, does God really need me to pray it to do it? Like, does he need me to pray so that he acts? It made me think of, a story in the scripture in John chapter two. Any of you remember the first miracle that's written there in John chapter two? Jesus and some of his and some of his family and friends basically were the caterers, if you will, to this wedding. And the wedding party, the king was there, ran out of wine, and they knew that wasn't good. So somebody runs through the swinging doors and says, "Hey, we got to get some more wine because things are not going to go well for us. We just ran out." So Jesus' mom kind of steps back and, you know, this is, this is what I think could have happened. She kind of looks at him like this. Yeah. Uh, Jesus, you're up. <laughs> Jesus, I think, looks back at her. and we, we know what he says. He's like, my time has not yet come, but yet we also see him do exactly what she asked because he was a good son. Seriously. So he said, okay, here's what we're gonna do. Like in that moment, Jesus could have probably just snapped his fingers or said a word and what would have happened? Immediately. That's how we all came into existence and the earth and everything that we see. But isn't it interesting, Cat, that he didn't do that? You know what he did? Does anybody remember what he did? He told the, the servants with the water pots, the empty pots, he said, take those pots, take them to the spigot and put water in it. I want you to think for just a second. He said they ran out of wine, not water. If I'm one of the servants, I'm going, okay, water. They would have been first line of defense for getting their heads chopped off first, right? You just brought water in and said it was wine, but they did it anyway. They went over to the spigot. They filled it up. They brought it into the king. The, the king took the ladle. He took a drink. And you, and you remember what he said? He said, it's the best wine that's ever been made. So let me ask you this question. Who were the most blessed people at the party? The servants. Why the servants? 
because they knew. They took empty water pots to a water spigot, filled them up, took them back to the king, and somewhere between the spigot and the ladle, wine showed up. Right? Is that true? Listen, you say, Tom, why are you telling this story? Because God didn't need the servants. He doesn't need us. Could God save people without us? Yes. You understand, we are the servants with the empty water pots. Who said, fill this up, and I'm going I'm to take it to somebody that needs it. And then we're going to understand better than anybody else the miracle that just happened. Why would God ask us to do that? Because he wants us to be involved in what he's doing. Not to make us work hard and to do things we don't like to do, but because he is a gracious, good God. We change when we pray. Our hearts begin to look like his. When we pray, our minds are transformed. We begin thinking exactly like he thinks. Our part is to pray earnestly to God. And what were they to pray? What are we to pray? That the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. This word send out is a word that means to cast or to throw out. Jesus is commanding us to beg God to do this. Throw out many into the harvest field everywhere. We're to pray earnestly to the Lord that he would send out laborers into his harvest. Not that he has a problem with sending them out or not if he will or won't, but where is he going to send them out? In other words, it's his choice where he sends them out. It's not our choice. God wants to reach people everywhere. He knows in the darkest corner of the earth, in the most remote place, there's somebody needs to hear the gospel. And God says, pray that people would hear me when I send them. God wants to reach people everywhere, the tough places, the last places. And God has to throw us to those people because we don't even know they exist. We call that the uttermost out of Acts chapter 1. People say, do you mean the jungles of Indonesia? Do you mean the, 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 someplace on the backside of India? Yes. Yes. But I also mean the hardest cities to reach right here in the United States of America. I mean Salt Lake City, San Francisco, uh, uh, Seattle, Portland, everywhere in between. How about this one? Las Vegas, Nevada. Who will go? Who won't just go and live in a people group in Cambodia or Saudi Arabia. But who will go live in the toughest part of Las Vegas? That's where it always gets quiet, Gene. Listen, I know, I'm one of you. God sent somebody to reach me. Somebody prayed for laborers, and God sent somebody to me. Somebody begged God for my salvation, but somebody begged God for the laborer who would offer salvation to me. The command was to pray, but notice what the command is not. It is not to go into the harvest. That's not the command. Well, I love that, and some of you are like, whoo, whoo, praise God. I thought he was going to make us do something here. 
thought he was trying to make us feel guilty about not getting into the harvest. That's, you're right. The Bible does not say exactly what that is right there. But remember when Jesus himself was in the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you remember what he prayed? The day before he goes to the cross, here's what he prayed. Father, not my will, but yours. So let me ask you this. What did he do next? He just sat back and drank a Coke Zero, I guess. So, well, Lord, I'll wait for your will. You just let me know what it is. And he just kind of sat back. No, no, he went straight to the cross. He got up and he did what he knew he was supposed to do. Did he pray and ask God for his will? Absolutely. Did he pray and ask God to do whatever he wanted? He did. But then he got up himself and did it. We too must pray and ask the Father to send laborers into the harvest, knowing that we too are to somehow be involved in the mission of getting the gospel to those who are lost. We are praying for God to send others, not so we don't have to go. We are actually begging God to send other people with us who see his kingdom just like we do. Jesus didn't ask for the Father's will and then sit back on his hands thinking that he didn't have to be involved and neither should we. We know that we too are called to go. It's just sometimes we don't know what we're called to pray for. The Great Commission is found in five places. The reason I know we're supposed to go, Matthew 28, 19, you can see it up here on the screen. Go make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. Luke 24, 47, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so am I sending you, Acts 1.8, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Here's what God's will is, God's will is for our life. To get into the harvest, but to pray before we go. How do I know that? Because I've read Matthew 10.5. Matthew writes this, in the very next chapter, these 12 Jesus sent. They prayed, but then they went. And we too must pray, but we also must go. As we finish today, I want us to dream a little dream. What if all of a sudden we weren't distracted, desensitized, and disengaged? Instead, we were of use. Instead, we were undistracted, we were sensitive, and we were engaged. You know, there's a difference between talking and preaching I'm about to preach. And I, when we leave out of here, if, I haven't, if I've never met you, I'd love to meet you at the Welcome Guest Center. But like, I want you to like me too. But to be honest, it's okay if you don't, if after I say this, you don't like it. 300 people to be baptized at Hope this year. I think that's awesome. But there's 3,000 of us. It took 10 of us to win one person. No shame. That's not what I'm trying for. I'm just saying, I'm one of you too. I love that there are 300. But I think we're supposed to reach more. He said the harvest is plentiful. I wonder if the workers are the problem. Do we get it? Do we see it? 
Are we undistracted enough to see it? Are we sensitive enough to see it? Are we willing to be engaged in what we see? I want you to ask yourself this question. It's one I've had to ask myself all week. Am I involved in seeing others come to Jesus? Am I involved? And if I am, how? How am I involved? I want you to watch this story. We sent out this couple a couple uh, a year and a half ago. And we've edited a little bit so that you could understand kind of what we wanted you to understand um, about what it looks like to see, be sensitive, and then just get in on what God's doing. So watch this video. In 2018, Priscilla and I gathered our passports and went on a short-term mission trip to East Asia with a team from Hope Church. It was during this experience that our eyes were open to the vast lostness in other parts of the world, and we began to sense a clear calling from the Lord that His plan and purpose for our lives was to join Him in His kingdom being expanded among the least reached peoples and places of the world. It was during this trip I had the amazing opportunity to tag alongside Pastor Tom and a field partner to visit an underground church. Because of high-level security threats in country, the local church was meeting in an upper story in an old abandoned high-rise. It was through this experience that I was able to witness firsthand just how God is always at work to save people, transform lives, and expand His kingdom even in the midst of persecution. I just couldn't leave that gathering the same. As the apostle and missionary Paul writes, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Whether you join God in his global mission, short-term, mid-term, or even long-term, go. God uses ordinary people just like us for his extraordinary purposes. We are just one testimony of this grace. I was, uh, amen. I remember that trip. The partner asked, um, he said, hey, we have an opportunity to go to this underground church. He said, it's a great honor. He said, but only one person can go. He said, we want you to go because we want you to preach, but you can take one other person on the team, which was very difficult because all the team wanted to go. And Hunter begged me to go. He said, man, please let it be me. Like, I love all these people who are with us too, but I just want to go. Like, I just want to see it. And I'll never forget, after we spent those two hours with those believers who are persecuted believers, we came down those stairs and we walked out, and I looked at Hunter's face, and I knew something was different. He got it. Next thing I know, he's going through a process to now a year and a half, he and his wife are in Cambodia. They're actually working, not exactly with, but close to the people group that we were there with that day. And I just think sometimes we need to see it, right? Like you need to experience it. So here's what I want you to do as we leave today. Know that our team here at Hope, the mobilization team in general, the hub, church planning team, cross-cultural team, we have put together stuff and made it very quick and easy for you to just engage. So here's all I'm asking. Just try it. Just try it. There will be people in eternity because you decided to give away part of yourself who will be forever grateful for the kingdom because you decided to be involved.
So before you leave your seat today, I want you to ask God, where do you want me to be, Lord? Tonight, we're going to have a, a service here, and we're going to pray for exactly what Jesus told the disciples to pray for. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. We're going to beg God to do that tonight right here. And I want you, I'd love for you all to be here at 630 tonight to help us do that. If we're going to obey God, we got to see that there is a harvest that's plentiful and that we are part of the workers. And just like last week, Pastor Scott asked you, asked me to do three things, to be involved. Pray, give, and go. Pray, give, and go. Give, there's a brochure um, that looks like this right here, um, where we've put together, we would love an offering of 300000 this year. Last year it was 250000 This year it's 300000 There are just some incredible things that we're going to be able to do around the world that, that are not part of our budget, and we don't want it to be. We want it to be from you. I love going on trips and saying, our people gave this to you. God gave it to them to give to you. And it's incredible what happens. So just pick that brochure up, check that out. It's a great way to give. Also give to those who are going on trips when they ask you to give. You say, Tom, I only got $10. Then give 10. That's all I can give up. Then give that. Help people go. But also pray tonight, right here. Come pray with us. But also you can grab prayer cards out at the tables. There's prayer cards for local missionaries. There are prayer cards for those who are in the West. There are prayer cards for those who are around the world. Just grab a prayer card. Make prayer a part of what you do to see people come to Christ. And then last, go. This brochure, we gave it out last week. We're giving it out again this week. Just go through it. There's a QR code here on the back. And you can, you can look through it and say, this is where I think I need to be involved. Whether it's a prayer, a sender, or a goer, I would love to be a part of what it looks like for others around the world to come to faith in Jesus. As we finish, I also realize today that you may be here and you're not a follower of God. That was me at one point in my life. But I gave my life to Jesus, so I'm sensitive to that. And I know what it, it feels like, looks like, and, 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 and the way it may seem to hear a message that kind of sounds like you're talking to believers. And to be honest, I was. But the Holy Spirit's lit on your heart today. And for the very first time, you say, I think I need this Jesus that guy's talking about, and I don't know how, we'll, we'll help you here. If you'll just come tell me or tell somebody in the lobby with a badge on, we can help you come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. You need him. I'm not saying that arrogantly. I'm telling you like your house is on fire and I need you to get out. You need him. But then if you're a follower today, I want you to act on what we said. This is who Jesus was. This is who he is. This is what he's given us. These are the opportunities that we have, amen? To pray. Come pray with us at the, at the altar today. I, I, I want us to do this before we leave. Let's, ask, let's beg God for laborers. We can do that, right? But also be involved in God's mission. Don't walk by those tables out there and just walk by. Like be involved, get engaged in what God's doing. And then last, if you're here today and you say, I think God's calling me to ministry, like maybe missions. Just tell us so that we can hold you accountable, not so we can pressure you into anything. Trust me, you can't pressure somebody into going overseas. But here's what I'll tell you. It just helps us when we have that thought that we don't get to the parking lot and the devil snatch away the seed that God has planted. Just make yourself accountable. But if you know your call, come tell us. Man, we're going to walk with you through it. We're going to help you in some training stuff, and we're going to be with you the whole way, just like we were these three couples. Lord, thank you for your grace today. Thank you for the team that's here with me today. Thank you for these pastors who are on their way down. 
coming to this altar. I pray for us as we begin to pray, as we begin to contemplate what it looks like to go, and as, Lord, you lay on your heart what it is that you want us to give of ourselves or of our finances. Lord, this is just all for you. This isn't for us. This isn't to build our kingdom. This is so that other people can know you. God, thank you for these people who sit in front of me. I pray that if somebody needs you, Lord, today, they would admit that maybe for the very first time and their life will be changed forever. Lord, I pray they wouldn't say no again another time like I did. Save them today, Lord. Now, as we're about to stand, if you can stay in this room, that would be awesome. Just stay in here to pray. Those of you who are believers, stay in here and pray with us. It doesn't have to be at the altar. It can be. But pray for those who need God. Pray for laborers to be sent and pray and ask God what he wants you to do. Let's stand and sing together as our team leads us.